Welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so glad that you joined, decided to join us to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. Welcome to all those who are gathered here in the sanctuary, as well as those that are watching on Facebook and, of course, listening on the radio on T102. There's several announcements in your bulletin today. I want to thank Mr. Terry Wisman for filling in for me last week as my family was out of town. Uh, thank you for sharing the message, as well as uh, performing the prelude on the, on the organ last week. Thank you, Terry, for being here for us. Also, we're happy to have Doug and Kathy McLean with us here this morning. A little bit later in the service, they're going to be sharing briefly about their ministry. And uh, after the service today, if you're able to, we invite you to stay and join us in the ministry center where they're going to be able to give a little bit more info and share some pictures and give a full update on their ministry in Pirmasens, Germany. Uh, And again, that's right after the service today during the Sunday school hour. You can join us in the ministry center for that. Also, I want to give you all an update on Wonderful Wednesdays. Uh, In the past, that's something that's been contained to our uh, season of Lent. But this year, we decided to expand our our meals this year. So starting on April 28th, that's a Wednesday night, uh, we're going to have a free meal starting on the last Wednesday of the month. So this month is April 28th. The meal is going to be served from 6 to 7 p.m. in the Ministry Center. Uh, The menu includes three cheese ravioli with Alfredo or red sauce, salad, roll, and cookies. And just as we did during Lent, you can come and eat here in the ministry center with us, or you can pick up uh, a carryout meal at the side door of the ministry center. And we also have delivery options available. If you're interested in having a meal delivered to you and you live in the New Knoxville area, or the New Knoxville and the surrounding area, uh, please call the church at 419-753-2446 to make arrangements for that. We'd be glad to come and drop a meal off for you that evening as well, especially if you're, if you're not able or, or can't come out and join us here at the church. One more note here, too. I also want to thank the congregation. Uh, the new soundboard is installed today. Uh, it was installed this past week, and our sound tech spent an evening on Wednesday night learning and using the new technology. And we're looking for a few more people who are interested, and now is the perfect time to jump in and help in that ministry. So if you're interested in learning the new soundboard and and being able to help on Sunday mornings for the services, uh, please contact Greg or myself, and we can tell you how you can get connected to that ministry. Uh, We're always looking for more help in those areas, and there's also other areas you can help out in as well, and those are listed in your bulletin too. At this time, I I want to invite all those that are able to stand and join me in our call to worship this morning. Our call to worship is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out in all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes a circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. 
The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I invite you to remain standing as we sing our first praise song this morning, Holy Water. The words are in your bulletin.
Amen. You may be seated, and I want to invite those who are here for Children's Chat. You can come forward this time with Miss Carolyn. How many do we have? Look at all the people today. Have you planted anything in your gardens? I haven't planted any, but I have started. Oh, yeah. You know what? It's supposed to snow that. Might snow this week? Huh? No. No? You didn't know that? Oh, yeah. You've been working with your other stuff, haven't you? Well, why do I need to put seeds in the ground? Huh? My gloves, will that help the seeds grow? Yeah. It will? Oh, pretty gloves. Okay. Let's see. Oh, I need a pot, don't I? I need a shovel. Yeah, it was kind of dirty this morning. Hmm? Yes, to dig. And I need a pot, don't I? Put the flowers in. And the pot. We got pot? Hmm? Oh, thank you. I need dirt. dirt. We'll put the dirt in there. So, and then I need to plant Things. seeds. Put that in there. They're, they're not growing yet. Need some water? Yeah. Okay. Is it growing? No. What you laughing about? Huh? Oh, I need to take the dirt out of the bag. Put the water on it. Sunlight, will that work? That's a flashlight here. Well, that doesn't make it work, does it? You're right. You're absolutely right. Who really makes it grow? Who does? Jesus. God does, doesn't he? We can put, have real dirt and put the seeds in and water them, but who makes them grow? God makes them grow. We can do, and Jesus. That's absolutely right. Do you know you can put, yes, he is. Jesus is our friend. Very good. Yes, you learn all about Jesus in Sunday school. But you can plant things, too. Do you know what you can plant? Yeah. Oh, you're going to plant peas? Well, you can plant broccoli. You like broccoli? Yeah. Oh. He does, too? Well, you're pretty good guys. You can plant happiness and friendship and lettuces, too. You better cover them up. It gets cold. You can plant happiness. You know how you can do that? You can plant happiness by giving somebody a hug. That makes them happy, doesn't it? That make them happy? Yeah. And you know what other things we sometimes plant? We sometimes plant unfriendliness by pushing somebody. Or making fun of them. And that's not good either. What does God want us to plant? Hmm? What does God want us to plant? Happiness. Happiness. 
Absolutely, happiness. Can you go plant some happiness today and tomorrow? Oh, strawberries. We're still on the food. Well, I'll tell you what. I brought you some seeds that you can plant, that you can plant, okay? But you have to wait until after Mother's Day. Don't go home and plant them today because it's too cold, okay? So God wants you to plant happiness, and he's going to make it grow, okay? Be nice to your brothers and sisters. Listen to mom and dad. Do all those wonderful, happy things, okay? Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for these children and their enthusiasm about your wonderful world. Help us all to plant friendliness, happiness, and your love in others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Get some seeds over there, okay?
Praise God. Praise God. Well, at this point in the service, we get to invite forward Doug and Kathy to share with us about your ministry in Germany and all that you are doing over there. Um, for those of you obviously here at the church, you know, these are some familiar faces. They've been here before. They have a few connections to our New Knoxville community. So Doug and Kathy, we're so happy you're here today and look forward to hearing what you have to say about um, your ministry in Germany and certainly looking forward to being able to talk a little bit more about it after church day during the Sunday school hour. But thank you for being here today. Familiar faces, but different outfits this time. Um, we are so happy to be here. We've been looking forward to this. Um, you guys have been such an inspiration to us. Your your uh, support monetarily, but prayers, and you've even sent two work teams over to um, to our area to help in the building. So we really appreciate the support that we get from this church. Um, in Germany, uh, what we're finding is the Germans are f- fairly closed, but the um, refugees, which started to come about the same time we did from Middle East and Eritrea, which is Africa, um, are very open to the gospel, and they see uh, the love of the church, and that, that brings them right in. What we want to do is we're going to do the, save the updates for after the service we want to share two quick stories of these refugees and how rough it is for them to get to Germany and, and what we see with them. I'm going to share a story about a man I'm going to call Frank. Um, he's from Afghanistan. And one night he was in the emergency room of the hospital doing his duty. He was a, a heart surgeon or a cardiologist, rather. And while in the middle of his emergency room normal procedures, in stormed a bunch of armed people with uh, their boss. And they demanded that he quit what he was doing right now because they needed him to take care of their boss. Um, If you're not aware, there are different factions in Afghanistan opposing the government, and this was one of the major factors or factions that was opposing the government who had stormed in his his emergency room. Um, So, of course, they comply, they set things aside, and they start trying to take care of what the boss needs. When in storms, the government troops, and there's a little skirmish right there, and then he and his nursing staff duck down and avoid all of this. But afterwards, the next day, he's called by the government to come in and file a report about what he had seen because they're going to press charges against these other uh, insurgencies. And so he files his report. Uh, and thinks he's okay. Then they tell him, though, you have to also appear in court and testify against these people. Uh, At that point, then, the other forces, the opposing forces, threatened him with his life if he were to do so. So he was stuck in this battle. He had no choice. He was kind of like danged if you do and danged if you don't, one of those routines. And so he had no choice but to flee the country. So he came to Germany where he became one of my German language students, Currently, we're doing that online. But if you think about Frank, please pray for him. He's suffering a lot of mental problems because of these issues. During COVID, his father died in Afghanistan and his brother. And all he can think about is that if I had only been there, I could have helped them. There's another man from uh, Iran. And he he became a Christian um, in Iran. And he had a lot of pressure from his family and from the government. And he had to flee. He fled to Turkey, 
It wasn't any better there. They were tor- they were abused there as well. They had to flee into the woods several times. He was caught once, and they beat him very severely. He ended up coming over to Greece. Greece really didn't care about him, but they weren't. Uh, they didn't beat him, and finally came to Germany. Um, he uh, has. I've, I have taken him through a discipleship class. We're in a second one now online. Uh, but he has indicated a couple times on the first one that, yes, he is a Christian, and he is growing in his faith, and he, he looks forward to the time we spend online. Of course, we have to do it online right now. Um, and, you know, these are some of the – this is typical. These refugees have problems in their own homeland – it's very dangerous to get to the EU and Germany. And Germany and France are two of the better situations for these people. And it's just really rough. And then when they hit Germany, you think we have red tape. Germany's the king of red tape. And it takes them two years to get through the system where they're approved and they can stay. So, um, you know, this is some of the things. What we're going to do afterwards, well, you can talk. Afterwards, please meet us in the fellowship hall where we'll give you more of an update about what's going on and how things have changed, probably because of COVID. Thank you. Thank you. I don't wander away here. Can I pray for you guys? I think that's the most important thing, right? We went, we can support you financially. We can, you know, encourage you. But the most important thing that we can do for you and missionaries like you are to pray. You know, there's a lot of challenges you face. Uh, just being there, right, and, and doing the ministry that you're doing, and prayer is the most important thing that we can be doing for you. So I'd love to take a moment and pray for you as well as uh, the other needs that are before us today. But before I do that, I do want to just say, you mentioned we had a couple you had a couple work teams that joined you. I was part of that second group. And your comment there about, uh, about uh, refugees is so true because, you know, we got to witness that firsthand. Um, the moment we arrived in uh, Kusel, Germany, we saw refugees being baptized as part of their Sunday morning service. So, I mean, it's, it's real, and what they're doing over there is really important. And I think, you know, seeing that, you know, firsthand was really, really powerful. So thank you for all that you're doing. And you're, yeah, you can say something else if you'd like. Yeah, in five years we've seen somewhere between 80 and 100 refugees that become, became Christians and were Muslims. baptized. So Former Muslims. Wow, former Muslims. So praise God. That's amazing. That's amazing. Praise God for that and all that you are doing. And now let's go to the Lord and ask for his provision and his guidance over your ministry. Father God, we thank you so much for for Doug and Kathy. We thank you for their ministry in Germany. And of course, Lord, we thank you that that they have a, a very personal connection here to our church in New Knoxville. We're so grateful that we can support them financially, that we can encourage them with our words. But most importantly, Lord, we're thankful that we can pray for them and lift them up to you and ask for your spirit to guide them, to equip them, and to prepare them for the ministry that you have in store for them ahead. We do, Lord, pray for your provision. We pray, Lord, that in all things that you would, um, that you would guide them, that you would help them. And, Lord, we're, we're talking materially but also spiritually. I pray, Lord, that you would open doors to, to not only the, the German people, but also continue to open doors to these refugees that are coming in and, and the opportunity they have, even for just a short period of time, to minister to them and to share the gospel with them. Lord, we thank you that, that your gospel crosses over language barriers and cultural barriers and geographical barriers. 
and that you are King of kings and Lord of lords and that your kingdom, Lord, is, is all over this earth. Uh, Lord, and, the, and your body of Christ is diverse. Uh, and, and one day, Lord, we'll truly be able to experience that in heaven. But thank you, Lord, that Doug and Kathy and others in the mission field are getting glimpses and experiences of that even, even now. So, Lord, we continue to pray for their ministry and lift them up to you. And we also ask that you would work according to your will here in this place at First Church in New Knoxville and the New Knoxville community. And, and Lord, wherever people may be hearing the sound of my voice over the radio or watching on Facebook. Lord, we ask that your will would be done. Uh, Lord, we often think that we know what's best for ourselves, but we entrust ourselves to you and pray that your will would be what, what we keep at the center of our lives. We pray for provision where it's needed. We pray for healing where it's needed. And certainly, Lord, we pray for your gospel to go forth and for you to be glorified in all of these things, in the good, the bad, and everything in between. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you both for being here today. And again, just one more reminder, if you're able to stick around after church today to hear their more detailed update about their, about their ministry in Germany, I encourage you to stick around and join us in the ministry center. Thanks again for being here. Um, at this time, um, I know it's in the bulletin, even though it's back there, uh, we're going to have another time of worship here. I invite you to stand with us if you're able and sing the praise song. It is well. The words are in your bulletin.
scripture reading this morning comes from Luke 24, verses 13 through 49. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came out and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? At the begin- and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he, t- he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for all the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thank you, Tori. It's a long scripture passage, but it's always worth hearing God's word as we prepare to focus on him this morning. I invite you to pray with me again. Father God, we thank you for your word. Guide us and instruct us and speak to us. I pray now as we focus on it today that you would guide our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are certain moments, I think, that, that really are, are seared into our memory. Right? I remember 
the defining moment for my generation was September 11th, 2001. If you can believe it, that's almost 20 years ago now. I was a freshman in high school, and I remember teachers beginning to whisper about plane crashes in New York City in my second, after my second period class. Within the hour, school had basically stopped any semblance of education. We sat around classrooms talking about what was happening and listening to the president, George W. Bush, on the radio. My mom talks about the day that President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. She was in Catholic grade school. The principal announced the tragic news over the PA system and led the school in prayer. You may recall any of these or any other number of historical events as if they were just yesterday. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin D. Roosevelt described December 6, 1942 as a day that would live in infamy. Important moments like these are not, must not be historic nor tragic. Right? Just because something is seared in your memory doesn't mean it's, it's part of the collective narrative that we, that we go through as a, as a society, as a nation, or as a world. Important moments that are seared in your memory might be husbands remembering seeing their brides walk down the aisle for the first time. Mothers remembering the first time they held their child. See, we have a way of remembering important, momentous occasions, both on the personal scale and on, and on an historic scale. Now imagine, you know, I bring this up today because we're over, today and then over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the, the resurrection appearances of Christ. That must have been a momentous occasion for those first witnesses, don't you think? Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples, and how would you have responded to that groundbreaking news? We'll see over the next few weeks that they didn't exactly respond, as you might have guessed. Some doubted. Some went back to their old lives as if nothing had changed. And some left town distraught and disappointed about what had taken place. But in each of these cases, Jesus, the risen Savior, showed up and changed everything. And so we're going to be talking over the next five weeks, including today, about these resurrection appearances we see in the Gospels and in the beginning of Acts. What do these encounters with the risen Jesus teach us about our faith and how we're called to live in the world today? We're going to start today with a story from the Gospel of Luke. You just heard it read it's in, in its entirety. While all four Gospels have very similar reports of the empty tomb, the Gospels each have unique accounts of how Jesus interacted with his disciples after Easter Sunday morning. And Luke tells the story of two lesser-known disciples as they journey on the road to Emmaus. The text says that it was the very same day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's Sunday evening, and the disciples are headed out of town. And you may think that might be a, an interesting right, context, right? They, and you may wonder, well, maybe they just didn't hear the news. But if you examine the story, if you look at the text, you see that they did hear the news. They knew what had happened, or at least had heard about what had happened. And yet they were heading out of town to a village called Emmaus. And it's on that journey, on that walk, that Jesus appears to them. They didn't recognize him at first. In fact, it says the text, the text says that they were kept from recognizing him just as Mary was in the garden in John chapter 20 and, and 21. But they were traveling on the road to Emmaus, leaving town just days after Jesus was crucified and on the very day that he rose from the dead. And they're discussing what happened. And, and so Jesus asked them about it. Remember, they don't recognize Jesus at this point. He's just a stranger to them. And so as they're traveling along the road, they ask him, or excuse me, Jesus asked them what they're talking about. And so they explained to Jesus 
what happened to Jesus, right? As if he didn't already know, including his death and reports of his resurrection. They describe Jesus with certain words. They call him a prophet. They say that he's powerful in word and deed. But notice what they don't call him. They never once mention that he's the Messiah or the Son of God. They recognize all that he'd done. They'd recognize the events that had taken place, but they didn't quite grasp the meaning or the significance of it yet. And ultimately, they're disappointed, right? They're going away from Jerusalem. They're going away from the events that had just taken place, dejected and sad. They said they thought he was going to redeem Israel. And you have to ask, what did they, what did they mean by that? Right? What, what did they think was going to happen? Well, some of, the, some of the people around that time period thought that this Messiah, this Christ, would come in order to rescue them from Roman oppression, They thought the Messiah or Christ was going to come in and and reestablish the Davidic monarchy. They were going to re he was going to be enthroned as king in Israel once again. And so when that didn't happen, they were disappointed and dejected. They were certainly surprised about the woman's report of the empty tomb, but they didn't seem to believe it. Right. If you they heard the news. Right. But they didn't they didn't stick around to see if it was true for themselves. They heard the news and then they left town that day. So, I, you know, I have, to, I have to think in my heart and my mind that they didn't understand what truly had happened, what truly had taken place. If they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead, the last place they'd be was on the road to Emmaus. The last place they'd be would be leaving town. So in some way, for some reason, they didn't quite get it. And it's at that point that Jesus opens the scriptures to them. He explains about what must happen concerning himself. And with Moses and all the prophets, which is a way of referring to all of scripture, Jesus explained to them what must have taken place. It reminds me of an interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees in John chapter 5. He tells them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Right? Jesus understood. He knew that Uh, that the scriptures all pointed to himself as the Messiah, as the Christ. And so they travel along the road and they're having this conversation and they get to the place where they're going to stay and they begin to share a meal together. And the language that is used there is very similar to the Last Supper, right? It says that Jesus took bread and broke it, right? Talks about this meal that they shared and it's reminiscent, it's supposed to remind us of that Last Supper. And it's in that moment when they're sharing that meal, that their eyes are opened. And then at that point, Jesus kind of disappears, right? He vanishes, and, and they reflect on their journey. They think about how their hearts were strangely warmed along the road, and they immediately go and tell the other disciples, confirming the accounts of the empty tomb. And then we see the same kind of pattern repeating with the rest of the disciples. And this is what I want to focus on with our time today, this pattern that is taking place. They go and they tell the disciples about what had happened, and then Jesus appears to them too. And he does a few things. He opens the scriptures in order to help them understand what had taken place. The disciples themselves had a, have an encounter with the risen Jesus, just as they did, just as the disciples on the road to Emmaus did along the road and in the meal. The disciples in the upper room have an experience of the risen Jesus by examining his hands and his feet and sharing a meal with him as well. And then each of them are called to go spread the good news. 
And I think there's a pattern here. There's, there's a process here that's, that's being laid out for us. And that is what I think we need to focus on here today. Right? There's, a, there's a process for what I would call would be the steps of salvation or, or, or being able or knowing what it means to trust in Jesus. And the first thing that happens in this step, the first step in this process is that they must understand Scripture and that all Scripture points to Jesus. Right? Jesus does that for both the disciples on the road and explains how they're all about him. Scripture tells the grand narrative of salvation history, what God had done from creation to the fall to redemption is all being made real, is all being accomplished in and through Jesus. Right? We often think the Bible, we, we go to the Bible as if it's ultimately about us, as if we think it's got the answers we need to solve life's problems, Within which in a way it is, but the answer is always Jesus. Right? The scriptures are always pointing to Jesus, first and foremost, not ourselves. The Bible is not a, a self-help manual. It can be helpful, but the problem with this perspective is that you only pull out manuals when something goes wrong, right? You don't leave the manual for your car just sitting on the nightstand to read as you go to bed, right? Nobody does that. You only take out that car manual when you need to figure out how to fix a problem. So if we view Scripture in that way, we're missing the point. Scripture is not just there when you need an answer to a problem. It's there for all of life. And in all ways, it points back to Jesus. Then everything in the Bible makes sense in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So it all points to Jesus, but then it's through Jesus that, that we're able to understand all of Scripture. I had a, when I was a youth pastor, there was a kid in my youth group that always jokingly had, had the perfect answer for every question in Bible study, youth group, or Sunday school, right? We'd, we'd be talking about a Scripture passage, and I'd ask a question, and as you all know, there's like that dead, awkward silence for a little while. And then I would always, without a doubt, know that the answer was coming from him somewhere in the back of the room. And the answer was always Jesus, right? I'd ask a question, and we'd wait for the silence, and then he'd just jokingly say, Jesus, that's the answer, right? And and everybody would laugh and, and joke around about it. But you know what? He's right, right? It's true. The Bible always points to Jesus. Just a few examples, right? Genesis 1, Jesus is the word through whom the universe is created, In Genesis 3, he's the one who will ultimately crush the head of the serpent. In Genesis 4, it's his shed blood on the cross that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel spilled on the ground. In Genesis 6 through 9, he's the ark that rescues his people from judgment. It's just the first few chapters of the Bible. I might want to speed up here a little bit. Um, In Exodus, he's the true Passover lamb. He's the fulfillment and the completion of the law. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, Jesus is the promised king who will reign on David's throne forever. Jesus is the one who all the prophets are speaking about and pointing to. It's all about Jesus. See where I'm going with this? We need to understand scripture in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And the way we do that is ultimately through the Holy Spirit, right? He's the one that helps us to understand scripture. Jesus said in John 14:26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Notice there's two functions there. He will teach you and he will remind you, right? He helps us to understand scripture and he also helps us to remember it so that we may live accordingly. 
And it's through the Spirit that our minds are ultimately opened. We're given the mind of Christ so that we may understand. Right? Scripture says in 1 Corinthians that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. And so the first thing we need to do is we need to read Scripture in light of Jesus. Don't read it from a self-centered perspective. We need to read it with him as the focal point. So we ask first and foremost, what is this passage teaching me about God? Right, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What is this passage helping me understand better about his character, his will? And then we go on and ask, how should I change in light of what this passage is teaching me about God? Right? That's how we should approach all of Scripture, whether it's Old Testament, whether it's New Testament, whether it's Gospels or the Psalms. We look at it from a God-centered perspective and say, what is this teaching me about him? And then we ask, how should that change my life, my thinking, my attitudes or my actions. So the first step in, 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 in coming to know Christ and in, in the process that is being laid out here is to understand Scripture. But even that isn't enough. What's also necessary is an experience with the risen Christ. It's Jesus who comes alongside them on the road, who shares a meal, who invites them to examine his scars. The significance of these resurrection appearances is that Jesus is resurrected. Right, that he is alive. The grave did not defeat him, which makes a relationship with him possible. Right? We can't know or pray to or have a relationship with a dead person. Jesus must be alive. The resurrection must be true if we are to know him in that way. And notice here, too, that he meets us where we're at. He chases down the disciples as they leave Jerusalem. He meets the disciples in the upper room. Right? We don't find Jesus Jesus finds us. One of my favorite, one of my favorite, uh, um, excuse me, he finds us. He speaks, he seeks us out, and he is the good shepherd looking for his lost sheep. One of my favorite movies when I was growing up was Forrest Gump, and there's this scene. I love Forrest Gump's interactions with Lieutenant Dan, right? Part of one of my favorite parts of the movie. There's one part where Lieutenant Dan is, is down in the dumps, right? He's depressed, and, and he turns to Forrest, and he says, Forrest, or he says, Gump, have you found Jesus? And Forrest looks at him straight in the face, a little confused, and says, Well, sir, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. Right? We're spo- people think we're supposed to be looking for Jesus. We're supposed to be looking for Jesus. In a way, we are. But ultimately, in every situation, it's Jesus who finds us. He's the one that meets us along the road. He meets us in the upper room. And we're going to see that over and over again in these resurrection appearances. Intellectual knowledge about God isn't enough. We can know the Bible inside and out, cover to cover, and that's a good and wonderful thing. But if we don't know Jesus, if we don't have the interaction with the risen Christ, then this isn't enough. We can memorize entire passages of Scripture, but if we don't understand who they're about, and if we don't know him personally, it's not going to be enough to save us. Notice that neither group of disciples reason their way to God. It was the experience of meeting Jesus that made the difference for them. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make us better people or have better theology. He died so that we can have a relationship with him. In John 17, 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Right? Eternal life means knowing God and knowing Jesus as our Savior. And so we need to encounter the risen Savior ourselves. Jesus is seeking you out, so don't run from him. No matter the circumstances, no matter what 
No matter where you've been or where you're going, Jesus is seeking you out today. Walking away from him, hold up in a room, Jesus wants to meet you wherever you are. And notice that the disciples were on the Emmaus, who were on the Emmaus Road recognized that God was working in their lives before they even realized who Jesus was. We think we find Jesus, but it's really him who finds us. Think about your own life, your own experience. What was your life like before you met Jesus or when you were going through a difficult time? And I think more often than not, if you were to truly reflect back on those moments, you'll see God was at work all along the way before you ever recognized he was there. In Luke 19.10, it says that Jesus came to seek, the, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is on a rescue mission. He leaves the 99 to find the one, the one sheep. He searches for the lost coin and celebrates when it's found. And he's the father who lovingly embraces both the prodigal son and the stubborn older brother. And so I invite you to return to him today. Let him open the eyes of your heart and mind so you can see him for who he truly is, our Savior and Lord. But it doesn't end there either. It's, a, it's scripture who helps us to understand who Jesus is. It's an encounter with the risen Savior who helps us to, to bring us with others. There's a response here in both of these situations. The disciples on the Emmaus Road immediately pack up their things and head back to Jerusalem to share this good news with the disciples. And then in that upper room, Jesus tells them that they are going to go and be witnesses about the resurrection as well. The response is that we're supposed to go and tell others what, what, you now, what we now believe. Think about when, when you went to the doctor, right, and you, they test your reflexes. And I always thought that was kind of a weird, weird feeling, right? You sit up on the, on the bench and they take that little hammer and, and tap on your knee. And if your reflexes are working right, you automatically start kicking whether you want to or not, right? It's, that's your normal, natural reflexes. We're supposed to have a gospel reflex, right? We're called to, to take what we've known and what we've experienced and then share that with others. That should be the natural response and reaction to all who know Christ. The gospel can't stop with you. It's meant to be inherently contagious. And so Christians should both have a desire and a responsibility to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you today to also ask God to give you a desire to share the good news. Some of us are kind of scared and kind of intimidated about that, right? If we're honest with ourselves, it's not an easy thing to do. But the command is there even when the desire isn't. All people, not just pastors, not just missionaries, are called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to close by reading just one more, one more passage of Scripture, and that's from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. This is Jesus initially calling his disciples. And it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Who are you bringing to Jesus today? All right, you don't save anyone, I don't save anyone, but we certainly can bring someone to the one who can. Who are you bringing to Jesus today? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us a clear process, a clear example of what it means to know you and trust in you. You've given us your word so we may know who you are because you've revealed yourself to us in, in your word. But you also invite us to know you and experience you on a personal level and then to go and share that good news with others. Help us to do that today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
As we close our service of worship here this morning, I invite you to stand if you're able. And we're going to sing hymn number 371 in our blue hymnals, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.